0: Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, that with all the temptations the world tries to dish out, so many ways the enemy tries to keep us from you. You are such a loving and a gracious God that you continue to draw us unto yourself. And then, Lord, as we've just seen how not only do you draw us unto yourself, but you take our place, Lord, and you are punished as if you lived our life, that we might be rewarded as if we've lived yours, We thank you for your love and your grace. I pray for the youth group. I thank you for just their hard work, and may you bless them, Lord. May you use uh, this drama to really reach out and minister to many young people. Lord, we ask as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would speak, that you would be our teacher this morning. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Give me a minute to recover from that. All right. You know, the Bible says, I know no greater joy than to know my children walk in the truth. Amen? It always blesses me even more to see young people uh, making a stand for the Lord. Amen? All right. Turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. And Lord willing, I'm going to be able to make it through this message this morning. I'm still dealing with my, uh, <coughs> my cough. All right. Well, I heard great things about last week. I heard things went really well. Pastor Bill filling in for me while I was sick. So just to catch you up, bring you up to speed, uh, John is dealing with false teachers. That's the main issue in, in 1 John. He's dealing with, most specifically, the Gnostics, as we've talked about. Those who thought they had an, their own private knowledge, and you had to come to them to receive this, this understanding or this wisdom. Part of what the Gnostics believe, some of them believe that you know your body, your was your flesh was evil and your spirit was good so you could do whatever you wanted in your flesh and it didn't matter because your spirit would still go to heaven your flesh was evil and dying anyway so you could live like the world Others believed that they could achieve a place of being without sin. And still others, because their body was flesh, or their flesh was bad or evil, they would beat themselves, where you get the whole you know, monastic point of view that you see today in, in many of the, of the cults, where they try to beat themselves and harm themselves to somehow earn God's favor. Guys, the good news is that by His stripes we're healed, amen? And we don't harm ourselves or, or beat ourselves or bruise ourselves or batter ourselves. He took the, the place for us. He paid the price that we wouldn't have to. Well, one of the things that the Gnostics did goes all the way back to the garden, and it's still happening today, which is that there's a deeper knowledge. There's something in addition to the Word of God, or the Word of God is being questioned. So it's either added to or taken away from, but we know that we're not to add to the Word of God or to take away from the Word of God. But even in the garden with, with Eve, Satan said to her, did God really say And so today, when you stand for the Word of God, you're going to hear that same thing. Does the Bible really say, well, the Bible's a book written by men. I've heard it again and again and again. The more you share your faith with others, people are going to mock the Bible. Guys, the Word of God rocks, amen? Amen. And praise God for His Word that He wrote it down for us, and we don't have to question or wonder who He is. If you want to know the God of the Word, spend time in the Word of God. So the cults today are not unlike the Gnostics some time ago, and so they're addressed very much in the same way. It says in 1 Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 1, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert or distort the point of being unrecognizable, the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, than that which we have preached to you, let them be accursed. The word accursed there means, the word is anathema, banned, excommunicated. Guys, if there's any other word taught than the word that you have in your hand, and how are you going to know if it's another word, you need to know this word. The only way you're going to recognize the lie is to know the truth. It says in Revelation 22, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book, of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Guys, we don't tamper with the Bible. We read it, we believe it, we obey it. Amen? So, John has been exhorting them, He's been encouraging them because they're living in a time when the word of God is being attacked. False teachers are all around them. Some are being tempted to turn away from the truth. And he writes this letter of love, this letter of concern with a burden to see them get their eyes back on the true and living God. So far, he's already told them that they are to walk in the light. The source of true fellowship with God is to obey him. The highest form of worship is obedience. Guys, it's not a works-based salvation, but when we've been saved, it'll show in our works. Amen? And so, the exhortation so far has been, you know, walk in the light as he is in the light. Be obedient to the word of God. He also told them that when they sin, they need to confess. You know, where the Gnostics were saying, you could live a sinful life and it was okay. We need to be sensitive to sin. You've heard me say it many times, a sign of spiritual maturity is the distance in time between when we sin and how quickly we confess. Guys, as we get more on fire from God, that time should get shorter and shorter and shorter. And so that brings us to this morning's text. And he's been encouraging them to abide in the Lord. And so this morning, I don't know if we'll get through all of it or not, Uh, Part of it will depend on how my voice holds up here this morning, but I titled the message Not of This World, Benchmarks of Salvation. First, we're going to see that a benchmark of salvation is our supernatural love for one another. Guys, if you don't love each other, something's wrong. We need to be loving each other. Why? Because it's a supernatural love that comes from God. We've got Jesus Christ in common. We have the Holy Spirit in common. We're born again. We're adopted into the same family. We've got the same future. We're all going to heaven together. And one of the marks of spiritual maturity, one of the marks that you've been born again is a supernatural love for other believers. You know, if you've been here very long, I'm a pretty affectionate guy. It's pretty hard to get through this place without me hugging on you. But one of the reasons that I hug on you guys is I do love you, and I'm praying for you throughout the week, and I can't wait to see my family on Sunday. And Lord, help us to be a family that loves each other unconditionally, amen? So that's the mark that we'll see, number one. Number two, our relationship with our Heavenly Father. These are benchmarks of salvation that we don't just know about him, but we know him. And we're going to see some, some benchmarks of spiritual maturity as he addresses the different believers. And then finally, if we have time, how we see and relate to the world. So let's begin in chapter 2, verse 7. Not of this world, benchmarks of true fal- salvation Our supernatural love. For one another. It says there in verse 7, Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have heard from the beginning, which you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. So he starts off this new section. He just finished off in verses 3 through 6, saying, If you're a follower of the Lord's, it'll be evident because you will abide in him, you'll be obedient to his word. You'll walk just as he walked. will be like the Lord. And now he's going to give us examples of what it means to abide in him. What it means to walk as he walked. How it's going to be reflected in our daily life. But he starts off with the word brethren. And the word there is, in the Greek, is adelphos. And it can also be translated beloved or dear friends. Now notice that though he is bringing heavy words of exhortation throughout this letter you're going to notice that it's written from a heart of love. And you know what? Sometimes we make the mistake of thinking those two things are mutually exclusive. You, can't, you can either discipline somebody or you can love them. You can either bring a hard or a direct word or you can love them. But the truth is, if we love them, we must discipline them. Amen? And if we love them, we should love them enough to bring even the difficult words. John loves these people and he loves them so much that he is willing to bring even the harsh word that they need to hear. So it's filled with admonitions, it's filled with exhortation, it's filled with encouragement, but it's written from a heart of love. You know, sometimes love must be tough. Sometimes love needs to be direct. Says in Proverbs 27, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Sometimes it's your truest friend who loves you so much they have to tell you the truth about your problems. The writer of Hebrew reminds us that God, as a loving father, disciplines us because he loves us. It says, and I, I like the New Living Translation, I don't use that very often, but I like the way it, it says these verses. Is that Hebrews 12? It says, And have you entirely forgotten the encouraging words God has spoken to you, his children? He said, my child, don't ignore it when the Lord disciplines you, and don't be discouraged when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes those he accepts as his children. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who was never disciplined? Well, we've heard of them, but they're a mess. Amen? And it's amazing to me how the world we live in today says that discipline is barbaric. Spanking is barbaric. The, you know, the guy in my office, Mark, keep praying for him. You know, the atheist guy that always gets into arguments, well, discussions with me. That's a better word. But he, he found out that I spanked my children. He said, that is absolutely barbaric. He said, you know, they just give them a time out. I said, I, I gave them a time out. I took time out of my day to give him a swat. But here's the point. The, those who the Lord loves, He disciplines, amen? And because we need discipline, if I don't love my kids, I won't care about their behavior. I won't care about the destruction that they're headed for. I won't care that there's gonna be great harm if they continue down that direction. If I don't love them, I'll just let it go. But if I do love them, if we do love each other, there's going to be times when those that God's put in our, uh, you know, we've given us authority over, that we're going to need to bring discipline to save them from something much greater. That's exactly what the Lord does to us. And I praise God for His discipline. Amen. I'm glad that He loves me enough to give me the Holy Spirit head slap when I need it. Amen. I'm glad that He loves me enough to do whatever is necessary to get me back walking right with him yet again this is the heart of john he's writing a a a heavy word but he says beloved brethren dear children dear friends it's a heart of encouragement a heart of love next time someone says to you and i've heard this so many times if you really love me you'll just accept me the way i am heard that before If we really love one another, we'll love each other enough to not condone their sin, but to speak the truth in love, amen? It's not loving to condone sinful behavior and say nothing. That's not loving. That's wimpy, amen? You know what? God didn't give us his word. They're not the ten suggestions, amen? They're the ten commandments. He gives us direction for life, and you and I need to stand for the word of God, but we must always do it in love. And again, it's best seen in that parent-child relationship. No one likes disciplining their kids, but if they love them, they're going to do whatever is necessary to bring them into a right relationship with the Lord. Exhort, encourage, and yes, discipline your children, but make sure you do it in love. And so John's bringing these words, but doing it from this heart of love. And he says, brethren or beloved, I write no new commandment to you but an old commandment which you have heard from the beginning. Unlike the false teachers who claim to have some new revelation, claim to be recipients of some new divine word from God that only those who followed them would discover, John claimed no new or exclusive truth. If someone tells you they've got a new truth or some brand new thing that no, no one's ever seen before, Run. If it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. Amen? The word of God is perfect. And he says, look, I'm not bringing you some brand new commandment. I'm not writing you this letter to tell you some brand new thing. I'm writing you this letter to remind you what you already know. Guys, why do we keep reading the Bible? I've read through the Bible I don't know how many times. I read through it every year. I use that book as a devotional book along with my regular study time. But you know what? I need to read it again and again and again because I need to be reminded again and again and again. And guys, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If you want your faith to grow, you need to spend time in His Word. And it's not a new commandment or a new revelation. It's understanding the truth that we already have. Guys, we hold in our hands God's perfect roadmap for life and the revelation of Himself. If you want to live a life that is fruitful and impacts eternity, if you want to stay on track spiritually and keep from falling for the enemy's traps and the world's distractions, keep in the Word. You want to know God in a more intimate way? Stay in His Word. Again, it's not something new. It's getting back to the same old truth, the simple truth. Let me just bear my heart with you. I find in my own life, if I get busy, if I allow my devotional time to be shortened or to lapse altogether, if I don't spend time in prayer like I should, it's not long before I become overwhelmed by the trials of life. When I don't spend time in God's Word, I become more focused on the things of this world. I find myself more easily tempted to sin I'm more indecisive about life's decisions and I'm less likely to share my faith. How about you? Isn't it amazing how bold you are when you've been in the Word? Isn't it amazing how when you have devotions that morning, how many times that exact passage works right into your day in sharing with somebody else? God is faithful. God's looking for those who will be available and be willing to be used by him. It says in Colossians 3, 2, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. God's word reminds us of who we are in him, of the greatness of the God we serve and gets our focus off the temporal and back on the eternal and brings us back to the truth and keeps us from falling for the lies of the enemy. The first century Christians needed to be reminded of the old truth. They needed to be reminded of what they'd already heard before, and so do you and I. We need to get back to the truth of God's Word that we already possess. The word there, commandment. The word commandment. Well, this speaks of the whole counsel of God. When we get to chapter 3, we're going to see the, in context, the real commandment he's speaking of is the love for one another. It says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. The word there for love, I'll give you one guess. What is it? It's agape. It's a selfless love. It's a love that loves someone outside of itself more than itself. It's not a selfish love. It's not a me-centered love. It's a you-centered love. It's not what can you do for me. It's what can I do for you. It's not, what can you do to earn my love? It's, how can I love you no matter what you do to me? That's agape love. And how is it best defined in Scripture? For God so agape the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Guys, because he had agape love, he gave. And agape love is seen in us giving and serving and loving and laying down our lives one for another. And so he says to them, this is the example. This is the commandment. It's the same old commandment. It's nothing new. Get your eyes off the distractions around you. Forget about the economy that we're living in right now. Be, be faithful at work. But is our God greater than the economy? What's the answer? Is our God greater than whoever's in the White House? What's the answer? Our God's greater. Our God is faithful. Our God is awesome. We just need to keep our eyes on Him, and none of this stuff will overwhelm us. We still have to live in this world, but we shouldn't be overwhelmed by it. Amen? And so this exhortation is not a new commandment. It says in Deuteronomy. These are Old Testament verses. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and all thy might. That's not a new commandment. It's in the Old Testament. It says in Leviticus 19. Thou shalt not avenge, nor bear any grudge against the children of, of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself I am am the lord guys one of the major benchmarks of true salvation is a supernatural love for one another that agape love that both identifies us and unifies us as the body of christ the old commandment is to get back to the truth of god's word and in context to love one another and guys the bible tells us that love jesus christ who came is the ultimate picture of love fulfills the law it doesn't do away with the law it's not instead of the law it's the fulfillment of the law so where can we find a perfect example to follow look at verse 8 this is going to confuse you when i read it so he says no new commandment do i give to you then verse 8 again a new commandment i write to you has he lost his mind he just said no new commandment do i give to you and the very next verse he says and again a new commandment i write to you what in the world does this mean You're all getting a headache. You're all trying to find a commentary that has an answer. But here's the answer. It's not contradicting the previous verse. The new commandment speaks not of replacing or doing away with the old, but the fulfillment of it. And Jesus came not to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. The law could not be fully understood without looking at Jesus. If you if you've been here on Wednesday nights, we go through the Old Testament. I defy you to find a chapter in the Old Testament where where it doesn't point to Jesus in some way. It's all about Jesus, amen? And when you go to the Old Testament, you can look at the sacrifices or the feasts or the rituals or the the Ark of the Covenant itself or the priestly garments or the tabernacle and its furnishings or even the way that they marched through the wilderness. Go to Numbers chapter 3 sometime and you'll see that when they marched through the wilderness, they marched in the shape of a cross, Guys, it all points to Jesus. But here's the point. All the Old Testament, all of it that's not been done away with in one sense, it's all been fulfilled in Christ. We're not sacrificing lambs anymore because Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But we would not fully understand the Old Testament truth without the New Testament, without Jesus Christ coming. So here's the point. The new commandment is Jesus Christ. The one who came to show us what that old covenant looks like, that old commandment looks like, what does that love look like that was spoken of in Deuteronomy and Leviticus? If you want to see love, look at Jesus Christ. If you want to see someone with the heart of a servant who shows agape love, look at Jesus Christ. He was Almighty God who was made manifest in the flesh, and He is the fulfillment. He is the new commandment. Jesus is agape love personified. Couldn't even grasp what agape meant until Jesus came. Even though the command to love is nothing new, when Jesus came along, he gave it the real meaning. It says in Matthew 5, You have heard it's been said, you shall love thy neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Jesus said that in the Sermon on the Mount. See, the world had one understanding of love, and then Jesus came and changed everything. Guys, He is the definition, He is the example. He's the one we follow. It says in John 13, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Here's the example of love. He said, You love each other as I have loved you. Oh man, is that a high standard or what? It's one thing to say, Yeah, I love you. But don't ask me for anything. I love you, but just don't inconvenience me. I love you, but don't seek for me to serve you or be available to you, and don't call me after a certain time. And you know, we can get very selfish, but that's not the way our Savior was. And he says we're to love each other the way he loves us. The only way we can do that is to live lives sacrificially. Again, the ultimate picture is on the cross. Greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Jesus not only laid down his life for his friends, but he laid it down for his enemies, and then said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now notice what it says here. Verse 8. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you. So this new commandment is true in him. If you have a good Bible, the H is capitalized because it's speaking of the Lord. Now, in him... This new commandment is fulfilled in the way that he lived. I don't have a problem believing the in him part. How about you? Here's where I struggle. In him and in you. What? I'm the fulfillment of the love of God? That's the command God has for you and me. You know, it's so easy for us to be short-tempered with people. It's so easy for us to feel put out when somebody wants us to minister to them in some way when we're tired. But can I remind you, and this is what I do, you know, sometimes, you know, it it is hard. I'm just being real transparent with you this morning. Sometimes it's hard when the phone rings at one in the morning and you haven't slept. Sometimes it is hard when you're not feeling well and need to drop everything to go minister to somebody. But you know what is a constant reminder to me? I remember what Jesus did for me. I remember how much He loves me. I remember how He laid down His life for me, and I've never been asked to do anything close, and neither have you. Amen? But the Lord would have us to have that same agape, selfless love for one another. The Bible says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is agape. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's evidence that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. At salvation, we became new creations in Christ. The Holy Spirit came to dwell within us. And as we were filled with Him, as we surrendered to Him, His agape, selfless, unconditional love flows out of us. So, Jesus is the example of love, but not only at Calvary. I'll tell you, one of the things that, that blows me away is when the night before he died, he's washing Judas' feet. He's washing the feet of his disciples who would, you know, the one who would betray him, those who would deny him, and those who would flee when things got tough. Here's the heart of a servant. says in Philippians 2, he existed in the form of God, but did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Agape love is unconditional. Agape love is is selfless and it's manifested in the heart of a servant willing to lay down his life for others. Jesus said, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Guys, this isn't radical Christianity, this is biblical Christianity. This isn't for the few radical, sold out, on fire Christians, this should be the evidence in every believer's life that we don't think of ourselves more than we ought to or more highly than we ought to, but we esteem others greater than ourselves. Imagine what would happen if we all started living like that. You know what? The world would be beating the doors down to the church to find out what in the world is up with those people. How do they have joy in spite of their circumstances? How is it they continue to have that incredible love for each other even when I know there's been trouble and trials between them? How is it their forgiveness and their grace and their mercy is unconditional? What in the world has happened to them? And what has happened to us is Jesus Christ him crucified and risen from the dead. And it says in the rest of that verse, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. As Jesus works in our lives, he begins to transform us, taking the darkness and turning it into light. Specifically, he takes the darkness of hatred and turns it into the light of true agape love, a love that is not only unnatural, but impossible apart from the empowering of the Holy Spirit. You know what? Some people are really hard to love. Amen? Amen. Some people, when you see their name on the caller ID, you want to throw the phone in the swimming pool. Right? I'm being honest. There's some people, the coworkers, is the person you see them coming. Oh, no. That's our flesh. The only way that changes is the Holy Spirit gets a hold of our heart. The only way that, can I encourage you, one of the ways to change that is the people that bug you the most, pray for them the most. Pray that God will change your heart and give you a supernatural love for them. you got a coworker or a or a relative or a boss or a neighbor that gets on your nerves, make a New Year's resolution to pray for them every day this year and pray for a divine appointment and pray that they might be saved. And watch what happens. You think God will answer that prayer? God answers the prayer where it's not about me, but it's about bringing glory to his name. Start praying for those. God, change my heart. Give me agape love for them. Then he says in verse 9, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. Notice the contrast. The man says one thing, but he does something else. That is not true biblical Christianity. What that is is hypocrisy hypocrisy is to say one thing and live another you know one of the biggest stumbling blocks to unbelievers is christians say one thing and live another or people that proclaim to be christians say one thing and live another and again we always want to point people to christ because he's the only perfect example but lord help us to be an example that points other people to christ i pray that people would see jesus in us amen But if you hate people, maybe you're here this morning and you, when I said hate, you thought of somebody. Man, I hate that guy. I know I'm not supposed to. I hate that girl. Man, I hate, they disappeared. It wouldn't hurt my feelings. Can I encourage you? You're here by divine appointment this morning. What does it say? He who loves, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. We've already seen this picture of light and darkness, but so far it's been kind of general. This darkness was walking in sin, in disobedience to the Lord. If you hate your brother, you're disobeying God. Can I say this too as a side note? We are not in competition with other churches. Amen? We are not trying to, you know, see who's bigger or, more or got more. Hey, you know what? We're all on the same team. Amen? We want to see Santa Cruz saved. It doesn't matter which lifeboat they get into as long as they get to shore. Amen. And too often, even in the church, there begins to be this, you know, sibling rivalry, if you will. We got this. What do you got? Why this, we got, oh, stop it. It's not about that at all. We're all on the same team. We shouldn't be envious. You know, no matter how enlightened or how spiritually mature someone may think that they think they are, it's his or her actions that tell us who that person really is. You know, I do a lot of funerals, and I've yet to have anybody tell me that the relative wasn't saved, not one. Because everybody points to some when they were nine years old, they were baptized. But they've been living a godless life, you know, blaspheming His name for 60 years. But when they were nine, they were baptized. So, guys, can I tell you something? It's not what you say. It's how you live that shows whether you're truly saved or not. Amen? They're going to know us by the love we have one for another. It's by your fruit that they will know us. What are we reflecting? How are we living? Are we living in a way... It would cause others to be envious and jealous and want to know the God that we know because they see the joy that we have. Just as our relationship to sin and obedience is a measure of our fellowship with God, and he says, if you love me, keep my commandments, so too is our relationship to God's people. If a man claims to be a Christian but hates his brother, he is still walking in darkness. He's living as one who's never been saved. And sadly, many claiming to be spiritually enlightened, like the Gnostics, have only disdain for those who they think don't know as much as they do. Isn't there, don't you see some who are spiritually self-righteous? Because they think they know something. They're on a higher plane with God than you are. You know, they're up here, and you're down here, and you might get a privilege to have a few moments of their time. Stop. They need to repent, amen? That is not our Savior. Our Savior went and ministered to the prostitutes and the tax collectors. He was above no one, and He's the Son of the living God. Who in the world are we to think we're above anybody? Amen? Amen? So many do spew hatred even in the name of Christ. I went down to the Preach the Word conference. It was fantastic. I've got all the DVDs. I'm going to show some on, on some Sunday nights here soon. But it was fantastic. But standing outside was a group of guys with big signs that said, Repent, hypocrites! With all these pastors going into the Preach the Word conference. And as I drove by, I had a, f- a friend of mine, Mike Veneman, who's a pastor up in Livermore of a Calvary Chapel up there. We drove by and the guy, you know, we looked over at him and he screamed. He started spewing hateful words at us. And I thought, boy, don't you just want to know the God that he serves? You know, boy, isn't, boy, isn't that contagious? Don't you want what he has? Can I tell you that I've yet to see anybody repent at someone screaming at them from a bullhorn? I've never seen it once. But you know what does happen? When we love people unconditionally, when we serve them, when we minister to them, we don't condone their sinful behavior, we love them enough to tell the truth, but we love them unconditionally, you know what's going to happen? It's going to soften their hearts to hear the truth of the gospel, the hope that lies within us. At some point, dude, what's up with you? why are you so different? We're different because we have Almighty God, the Spirit of the living God dwelling within us. It's amazing how many people like that are self-righteous, have little or no joy. But again, we talked about this, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is joy. If you if call yourself a Christian, you ought to be joyful. Amen? Amen? Happiness is temporary based on your circumstances. Joy is eternal and has nothing to do with your circumstances. Amen? May we be people who are filled with joy. Look at verse 10. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. He who loves his brother abides. The word abide means to dwell in, to live. Are you living in the light? Are you living in the light of God and his word? Are you in intimate fellowship with him? And the word there for stumbling is where we get the word scoundrel. It means to set a trap, to place something in a person's way that causes them to stumble or fall, to entrap them or draw someone into error. You know what? Love doesn't stumble your brother. Can I encourage you with something? Don't use your liberty in Christ to stumble your brother. Amen? What does that mean, Pastor Dave? What are you talking about? Well, maybe you're here and you feel like you have the liberty to have a glass of wine with dinner, and maybe you do. But can I encourage you to not do that in front of anybody else that might even by any remote chance have struggled with alcohol any time in their life because you've just stumbled them? Amen? It's better to not have it than to stumble one person because of it. Maybe there's a form of entertainment that doesn't bother you, but if you know that's stumbling to someone else, abstain from it. When you love somebody, you're not going to stumble them to get your way. You're going to be more concerned with them than you are with yourself. You'll forego that temporary pleasure, whatever it might be, even if it's not sin. To you, if it stumbles somebody else, it becomes sin to them. Amen? It says in Romans, Therefore let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean of itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For... Because of food your brother is hurt. You are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. He's saying if you love your brother, you're not going to stumble him. You're not going to put things in their way that are going to trip him up. You're not going to say, well, he's a weaker brother. He needs to get over it. You're going to say, he's a weaker brother. I need to minister to him. I need to make sure I don't do anything that's going to cause him stumble in his walk with the Lord. You know, it says he who loves his brother abides in the light. If you're abiding in Christ, it's going to be seen in love. And the absence of love has become a huge stumbling block to so many people. I said this before. We're the body of Christ. We're his bride. He loves his bride. He gave his life for his bride. And then Peter would later say, above all things, have a love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. You know, when you love somebody, you're gonna be, it's going to be really hard to get angry at them. If you love them unconditionally, you're going to go the extra mile. You're going to think the best of them. You're not going to gossip about them. You're not going to br- bring division. You're going to do everything you can to draw that person unto the Lord. One of the main reasons people who consider themselves to be Christians fall out of fellowship is the inability to get along with other believers. I cannot tell you how many people I have talked to who say, I don't go to church anymore because I got hurt there. Now let me say this. If you've been hurt at church, the answer is not to cease fellowshipping. That's letting the enemy win. Amen? But on the other extreme... We should not be the source of causing someone to feel so hurt at church they don't want to come back. Now I will say this, some people are extremely sensitive and sometimes it's hard. I remember a guy who was mad, I didn't even know he was mad at me for two years. He finally called me up and said, I've been mad at you for two years and and that's why you haven't seen me at Calvary San Jose. I go, bro, what did I do? He said, you taught on a Sunday and you walked right by me in the foyer and didn't give me a hug. Now I could have said, Dude, come on, man. Get over yourself already. But you know what? You know what the Lord had me do instead? Bro, forgive me. Bro, you know what? I had no idea. I am so sorry. It breaks my heart to know that that's caused you to feel this way all this time. Will you forgive me? You know what? Guys, let's go the extra mile of showing grace and showing love unconditional. Amen? Now, again, if someone came to me and said, I'm not going to church anymore because so and so, I'd say, you know what, bro, you need to forgive them. You need not to bear that grudge. But, guys, the enemy will use even the smallest thing to cause people to become bitter and even angry and to walk away and say, I just can't go there anymore because those Christians are all the same. I would hope we would all be the same. We would be the same, loving each other in a way that other people can't ignore. We all need to esteem others greater than ourselves. At the same time, as you grow in maturity, you should not be easily offended. Amen? You shouldn't be easily offended. And if you are offended, go to that person one-on-one in love and get it rectified. Amen? Don't carry around anger and bitterness for a long time. Now it says this again. If he loves his brother, he abides in the light, there's no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother, verse 11, is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You know, if you have hatred, you're lost. You don't know the God of the Bible if you walk around with anger and hatred and bitterness in your heart. You know, the guy that was screaming at me was screaming verses at me down at the conference with the repent hypocrite sign. And I thought, boy, he might want to read 1 John chapter 2. Because he who has hatred in his heart is walking in darkness and has no idea where he's going. That's what the text says. Feeling lost? Feeling like your life lacks direction? Examine your heart and see where you are with the Lord. Amen? We can so easily get caught up in walking in the darkness. If we lose love, then we lose everything. You can do all the right things. You can believe the truth. But if you do not love other believers, you are walking in darkness. It's far, e- far too easy to place ministry and being right above people. Well, I'm right and he's wrong. Tough. Um, is that what the Lord wants us to do? The Lord wants us to reach out to people in love. Well, Pastor Dave, then we're going to be a bunch of doormats. You ever heard people say that? I'm not going to be a doormat. I'm going to stand up for my right. It's not fair. You want what's fair? You want what you deserve? Anybody want what you deserve? Raise your hand. Uh, no thanks. Not interested in what I deserve. How about grace for me? Oh, I want grace for me, but judgment for him. No. Grace for me, grace for her, grace for him. Amen? Love them unconditionally. It's amazing how when you just keep loving on people how God will use that. They're waiting to see how long it's going to last. Just keep loving them. You know, we are to be active in ministry. We are to use our gifts to minister to others. We're to walk in the truth of God's word, but we must do it in love. It says, and he does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Someone who lives without love for his, her, you know, for his brothers and sisters in Christ lives an aimless and meaningless life, void of the Holy Spirit's illuminating conviction or direction. He denies the presence of God and fellowship with the body. The person is blinded by the darkness of hate. Now, again, you know me. I'm just very transparent. You know that this last election they called it "No on Hate," right? right? Prop eight, no on hate, because they think that it's hateful to say that homosexual marriage is sin and we don't agree with it. Can I tell you that we can say that homosexual marriage is sin and we don't agree with it and we can love the homosexual at the same time? Amen? Because uh, it's kindness that leads people to repentance. Now the context here, he's talking about believers loving believers, that's the context. He's talking about loving people in the church. But you can look throughout Scripture and see that that love must start here. It must begin here. But you know what? It should flow out of here, too. Amen? It ought to flow out on the world around us. May we not envy people in ministry? May we not look at anybody else here, you know, I'd like to be, I'd like to be doing this or teaching that. Well, so and so, how come he gets to it? How come I don't? And I've been on, you know, and again, being transparent, you know me, I've been on staff at big churches where there's a bunch of guys on staff, and I've seen it, where guys who are on staff together are competing with each other. I remember a guy was really mad at me because the pastor kept asking me to fill the pulpit on Sundays instead of him. And then after a couple of years, he got asked, and he came in and went, nah, 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 I got to, I'm like, bro, praise God, I'm happy for you. And it's amazing because, you know what, our flesh can get into anything if we're not careful, It can get right into ministry. It can can get right into us serving God. It can pollute the very things we're doing for the Lord if we're not careful. We need to look at everybody who loves God as a co-laborer in the ministry. We're all on the same team. Let's be a source of encouragement. Let's hold up each other's hands. If you think about it, i would be praying next week. I'm going to be going, Lord willing, if I can get ahead enough at work, I'm going to be going to a prayer summit with all the senior pastors in Santa Cruz for a couple days. I did it a couple years ago, and it was awesome. I'm going to do everything I can to go. So please be praying for that. Lord willing, that'll happen. So not of this world, benchmarks for salvation, our supernatural love for one another. And then we're going to look at the last three verses. We're not going to get to the third point. Our relationship with our heavenly Father, knowing Him intimately, not just knowing about Him. It says there, and he kind of changes gears here a little bit in verse 12, speaking about our relationship with the Heavenly Father, knowing Him intimately. And these next three verses, John addresses these early Christians according to their levels of spiritual maturity. And you might be able, as we go through this, to get an idea of where you stand in maturity in your relationship with the Lord. Look what it says here in verse 12. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you, for his name's sake. The word little children there in Greek means infants, darlings, or little children. Guys, we each begin our walk with God as babies in the faith. Amen. Newborn Christians. And can I tell you something? I love newborn babies. In a month, I'm going to be a grandpa. I'm pretty excited. I love newborn babies. But you know what? I love new Christians too. Don't you love to see someone who's just brand new in their faith and they're just so excited about the things of God and they couldn't tell you the New Testament from the Old Testament and if you told them to turn to a chapter in their Bible, they couldn't find it and they don't know the names of the apostles and they couldn't name three of the Ten Commandments but they know this much, Jesus loves me, this I know for for the Bible tells me so, amen? And they know they've been forgiven and they know they're going to heaven and they know that Jesus died on the cross and that's enough. And they're excited. And it says right there in that verse, I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven you. You know what? That ought to be exciting. All of my sin, forgiven, blotted out, separated as far as the east is from the west. Guess what? That's salvation. And the good news is this. You're not more forgiven when you get more spiritually mature. The day you get saved, you're fully forgiven as you're ever going to be. Amen? And isn't that good? Man, it didn't get any better than that. And so he writes them. and says, look, I write to you little children. I write to you who are new in your faith. I write to you because you know what? Your sins are forgiven. And they're forgiven for his name's sake. Not because of your good works, but because of who Jesus Christ is and what he did on your behalf. Amen? You're not forgiven because you're so wonderful and he couldn't live without you. It's not because a church would perish without you. Oh, what are we going to do without her? What are we going to do without him? Oh, no, right? That's not it at all. It's because he's great, and he's holy, and he's perfect, and he's righteous, and he loves you. And you know what? Praise God for his grace that he pours that out upon us. And so he writes this letter, and he's encouraging, yes, even the little children in the faith, Even those who are brand new in their walk with God. Now let me say this. Being a brand new Christian is a Christian and you're going to heaven. But let me encourage you at the same time that while being a baby Christian is wonderful for a while, you should not remain a baby forever. Amen? At some point, you need to move past the milk of the word and start feeding on some meat. Amen? And you know what? You need to enter into the battle. We don't send our babies out to battle. But... What about the adults who don't want to go? The truth is that as we grow spiritually, we're going to move from, hey, it's wonderful. We should never lose that sense of being forgiven. But at some point, because we're forgiven, it ought to impact the way we live and our desire and our burden to minister to others and to represent Jesus Christ. So he says to to little children, because your sins are forgiven, I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I love this, fathers, those who are spiritually mature. So we have the two spectrums. We have the brand new believer and the one that's been walking with God for a long time. That's spiritually mature. But I love the word known there. The word known is gnosko. It means this, to know by experience. Not to know about him because I read about him. Not to know about him just because I believe that he does exist. But to know him in an intimate and a personal way. He says, I write to you fathers You spiritually mature because you have known him who is from the beginning. You know, the one that we know always has been and always will be. Does it ever give you a headache to start thinking about when God's, you know, start thinking about eternity past because eternity we always think of one direction that way forward right do you know that eternity went that way too he where was he a billion years ago he was there what about before that he was there what about he's always been there you know he's outside of time and space he created time and space so he existed before there was time or space well where was he when there was no space i don't know but i know this our god's great amen And he is the one that we serve. And he is the one that's from the beginning. And I know him. Guys, that should be our source of encouragement, our source of joy, our source of strength in great trials. Forget about what's going on around you and remember who you know. And don't know about him, know him. Press into him. Fall in love with him. Spend time with him. Then he says, We're almost done. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked ones. So, in between the spiritually mature, no longer, you know, and the babies, no longer children, old enough and mature enough to go into battle. On the front lines of God's work among his people are these young men, young women, maturing, growing, hungry. And it says there, because you have overcome the wicked one. Here's the sign that you've moved from baby to young man or woman spiritually. You've been able to walk in obedience to the Lord and have victory over temptation. You've been able to be used by God in ministry to reach out and minister to others. Again, we don't send the babies into battle, but we send the young men out and the young women out. And if you're doing nothing for the kingdom of God, it's time to get off the pacifier and start serving the Lord, amen? It's time to move out of being a baby and start being a a young man and woman in Christ moving toward one who is spiritually mature. Even when his throat hurts, he gets after us. What's up with that? You know, there are a lot of Christians who are satisfied remaining spiritual infants. There are a lot who say, hey, I got my get out of hell free card. I don't have to get into the battle. Leave me alone. Come to church once in a while. You know, I got my baptismal card in my pocket. You know, I I know that on judgment day I'm going to be fine. And that's all that matters. May we not have saved souls and wasted lives. May we not be satisfied with, you know, being saved, but as by fire. I don't want to get into heaven with my tail smoking. How about you? Amen? You know what? I pray that when we get to heaven, we would just continue the relationship we already have. Amen? You know what I thought about? I wrote people like that are like draft dodgers or vagrants. Called into God's army and I'm not going. Lazy. God didn't save us so we could sit on the sideline and watch. He has called us into the battle to do damage to the enemy and to impact eternity. When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. Amen? Nothing else is going to matter. And let's not sit on the sideline and waste this vapor of time that we have to serve God on anything else but serving him. Let's make him the priority. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. In the first stage of spiritual growth, we seek our roots deep into the fatherly love and the care of God. We know him as our caring father and see ourselves as his dependent children. We get to know God as our Abba, as our daddy. As we're new creations in Christ, he's daddy and we know he's the source of everything. And that's wonderful. Never downplay that. But Lord, help us not to be satisfied with just that. May we love Him and adore Him and get to know Him better. We're almost done. I said that once. Last verse. I have written to you fathers because you have known Him who is from the beginning. Have you ever noticed that the Bible can be repetitious? He just said this in the previous verse. But He said it again because it bears repeating. He reminds them again. You fathers, you spiritually mature, you deep-rooted believers, you know Him intimately by experience. And John is still writing to them. Notice that they're spiritually mature, but he's still writing a letter to them. You know why? Because we never get to the point where we no longer need the Word of God. Amen? I had a man tell me years ago, well, I've been studying the Bible a long time, and at the point now I don't need it anymore. You must have missed a whole lot of chapters, bro, with that attitude. The more I read it, the more desperately I need to keep reading it. The, more, the closer I get to him, the more hungry I am for his word. Something's wrong. Our walk should never be stagnant. It should keep on growing. And then he says, I have written to you young men because you are strong. Now, why are they strong? Let's finish with this. I've written to you young men because you are strong. And here's why. And the word of God abides in you. Here's the source of strength. God's word abiding in you. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us who helps us understand the word. But the reason that we can say no to the temptation of the devil, the reason we can recognize the way of escape, the reason we can stand for truth when nobody else will is the word of God abides in us. Our source of strength is not our fortitude. It's not us trying harder. It's less of us and more of him. It's us dying to ourselves and being filled with him. And it's us abiding in his word. And again, the word abide means to live in, to dwell in. Is the word of God at home in your hearts? Is the word of God something you hunger for? The Bible says we're to desire the word of God more than our necessary food. Uh Uh-oh. Can you imagine if we read our Bible as many times as we opened the fridge? But the Bible says we're to desire the word of God more than our necessary food. You know what? We'd be thinner and more spiritually mature. Amen? And then he says, and you have overcome the wicked one. How are we going to have strength over the wicked one? To walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, to abide in in the word of God. So in closing, not of this world, and we'll see that really next week when we get to verses 15 through 17. But we're not to love the world. But our su- ha- what are benchmarks of salvation? Number one, our supernatural love for one another and our relationship with our heavenly father, to know him intimately, not to just know about him. I have a question this morning. Do you know him? Not do you know about him, but do you know him? Is, is, is Jesus Christ your best friend? Does His Holy Spirit rule and reign in your life? When you wake up in the morning, are you thinking about Him? And when you go to bed at night, are you thinking about Him? And when you make decisions every day, is it going through the filter of the Holy Spirit? And when you speak, are you thinking about how it represents the Lord? And when you make decisions, are you seeking God for direction? Are you checking in with Him once a week or once a month on a Sunday? Or are you walking in intimate fellowship with Him? Lord, help us move past the pacifier. Praise God for babes in Christ. That's a wonderful thing. You're forgiven and going to heaven, but may we not be satisfied with it. May we press into the kingdom. May we be young men and women of God fighting the battle for him. And may we grow to a place of spiritual maturity where we don't just know about him, but we know him in an intimate and a personal way. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your grace this morning, even with my voice. You're a great and an awesome God. And Lord, I just pray for each of us here this morning, Lord, that thank you for the promise that your word does not return void. If we're here this morning and we're struggling with hatred, struggling with bitterness and anger, Lord, I pray that we would come to a place of brokenness and repentance before you this morning. We would not leave here without getting right with you. Lord, if there's someone we need to call this afternoon to make things right, may we do that. And then, Lord, I pray that we would go beyond being babes in Christ to growing into more spiritually mature believers. And, Lord, I pray that we as a church would be known for teaching the truth of your word, but, Lord, that we would be known for having a supernatural love for one another. I pray when people walk in the door that our love for you and our love for each other would be so evident that they couldn't miss it. Lord, I pray... If there's anybody here this morning that needs a hug, May you use our arms. Somebody here needs a word of encouragement. Lord, may you use our lips. Lord, I pray that you would stir up the gifts you've given us and we would use them in ministering one to another. May not one person here be satisfied sitting on the sidelines of our faith. But Lord, may we live lives that impact eternity. We love you, we praise you, We can't thank you enough for what you've already done for us, let alone what you're going to do. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's stand up and worship the Lord.